You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. What's up? This is your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Welcome to Stuff You Should Know, a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark, and there's Charles W. Chuck Bryan. There's Jerry over there, and we're just bouncing around with <laughs> giddiness about this episode on trampolines. I saw that coming from a mile away. You did not. Yeah, I knew there would be some jumpy, bouncy metaphor. Well, you know me very well <laughs> after these 11 years. 11 years. It's good. You didn't disappoint. Good. I don't like disappointing you, Chuck. It feels really rotten. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, especially since I'm wearing a T-shirt that says, you've disappointed me again. <laughs> Josh. And it's got that pointing finger right at me. Thanks. Comma, Josh. Yeah, it actually is three-dimensional. It comes out of the shirt just so you know. know I'm pointing at you. I can see it. It's like a magic eye poster. <laughs> oh, goodness. So uh, speaking of goodness, Chuck, we're talking about trampolines. But it's funny that I would say goodness because it turns out trampolines have a lot of badness to them. Yeah, a they're, lot. they're danger pits. Yeah, they are, big time. Well, pits if it's one of those built-into-the-ground things. Yeah, trampoline in a pit. Have you ever been on a trampoline? Sure. I had one in, in high school. Oh, really? You owned one? It was inherited from the people who previously owned the house. Ah, that old move. <laughs> and they took uh, they took a, maybe half of the springs with them when they moved, apparently, because <laughs> you could make contact with the ground pretty easy on that one. Yeah. And um, and actually, if you go onto my Instagram, Josh Um Clark, you can see a little photo spread of me bouncing around a trampoline park, totally oblivious to the amount of danger I was actually in. What? What do you mean, what? I mean, I got to look that up. I didn't know that existed. Uh, I talk to you about my Instagram account like every every couple of days. Well, I mean, pictures of the trampoline <laughs> A and B. I'm not on Instagram at all, so I got to like, you know. What? You have to what? Well, I don't know. I mean, how do you find something on Instagram if you're not on Instagram? Can you just uh, Google? I think you have to go. Yeah, you got to. No, you can. You can. You can just Google it, I believe. Okay. I'll show you later. I'll show you after this. All right. But anyway, it's pretty great. You're going to love it. But there was one point in time where I landed flat, and this is in the photos, flat on the back of my head upside down. And there was a crack and everything. And I was like, whoa, that was crazy. But after researching this, Chuck, I was like, I can't wait to die and go to heaven, uh-huh. if there is such a thing <laughs> and a place. Um, so I can be like, I've got to know. How close was I to full body paralysis that one time at that trampoline park? And I guarantee when they tell me, I'm going to shudder with just, um, uh, I don't know, 
some sort of proximity fear, maybe? <laughs> I don't know what else you would call that kind of thing. Or what if they say, uh, here, I'm going to issue a ticket number, and you're going to have to go down that wing where they handle uh, near-death uh, experiences? That's fine. I'd go, I'd go spend some time. It's eternity, after all. I've got time to kill. It feels like it would be very bureaucratic. I could see that, sure. Yeah. A lot of pencil pushing. <laughs> I haven't, you know, I had trampoline experience, and my only trampoline experience really was elementary school uh, when we had a, you know how in elementary school, at least at mine, they would have, um, I don't know, you do like one sport for a month or something. Yeah, I remember that. We did trampolines for a little while, and uh-huh. our, our gym teacher was a legit um, gymnast of some kind. And he could do all the things, and we and we had the uh, 1980s, you know, rectangular. Mm-hmm. Uh, they weren't even the the mats, as we'll learn. We'll learn all about the trampoline in a minute. But the little bouncy part you bounce on, mm-hmm. it was not solid. It was uh, like a a checkerboard. I don't understand. Well, it wasn't a solid piece of of fabric. It was uh, it invisible. Was a, it, it was a weave. Okay, and but I mean, with like little it, tiny with with little squares in between. So, like a net. Yeah, I have never seen what you're describing. Yeah, wow. But okay, your toe could go through it. So, Chuck, let me ask you this then: okay. <laughs> when did in that when you would rotate out for new things like every month? Yeah, yeah. Did you guys ever do the thing where like every you'd have a parachute? And everybody would pull and lift the parachute up at once, and it would be somebody's turn to run underneath, and you had to make it to the other side before the parachute covered you? I remember that, sort of, yes. Okay. Now, had your gym teacher Mm -hmm. done the opposite of that, where you put somebody in the middle of the parachute on top, and everybody pulls it taut so that the person is launched in the air? The Lebowski, yes. Yeah, the Lebowski. (laughs) You would have been doing... What is one of the only things that somebody can point to as a predecessor to the trampoline? Because it is almost virtually its own invention. Yeah, I love uh, love how you brought that around, my Thank friend. Thank you. <laughs> um, the Grabster wrote this for us, and he he does make a point that even before that, people just liked anything they could bounce on. It's just sort of uh, it seems intuitive as a human that that's fun mm-hmm. and thrilling. Right. Whether it's like, hey, this. This log that fell across the the creek has some spring to it, and that's fun. <laughs> what <laughs> you know? Sure. Or this board that spans uh, an opening. What was the opening called in that horror story? Have you lost your mind? Now remember the horror uh, Halloween horror thing that we did with the creek and the what was that called? <laughs> I, I don't. Oh oh oh! Remember there was a word, and you uh-huh. even looked it up. Yeah, and it was a specific place. Anyway, a, yeah, board, a board spanning that. You're talking about bridges. We're talking about trampolines today. <laughs> <laughs> you realize. We're talking trampolines. I'm so tired. I'm like hallucinating. So it's coming through loud and clear, buddy. Good. Um, so so there's the, the the cloth or fabric that you could launch somebody up in the air. The Lebowski. With. There was the a log, apparently, that people jumped on. <laughs> um, but there was this kind of... People figured out that it was kind of fun to get up into the air. And I saw it, uh, it was one of those things, you know, we're always warning people when they ask us how to research that if you see the same thing everywhere yeah. on the Internet, it's probably wrong. I saw that about how there was, there's um, in China, Iran, and Egypt, there's depictions of people using trampoline-like devices. Didn't see anything beyond that, so it's probably made up. But... um 
we can point to when the trampoline was invented, and it was actually fairly recent. Like, what we think of a trampoline came about in, I think, like the 1930s, over the period of a few years. Yeah, now, are we going to tell people what a trampoline is first, or are we going to talk about the history and then tell people what a <laughs> no, trampoline is? No, I'm glad you did this, Chuck, because, yes, not only do we have what a trampoline is, I got a little, a little bit of physics, too, to throw into. I had a feeling. Okay. So, a trampoline, if you've never driven out uh, into rural Georgia— um, that's where I see them. Yeah, the people in the rural areas like the trampolines. There's not a lot to do out in rural areas. I think areas. that's the deal. I was kind of wondering, like, why do I see those when I drive out to, the, you know, the country, mm-hmm. but I don't see them as much in urban areas. And, and I think of space, A, mm-hmm. and B, it's just a very cheap way to be like, here you go, kids. Knock yourself out for the next 10 years, literally. Literally, yeah. All right, so trampoline is a frame. Uh, that has a bouncy surface in the middle of it. Right. Uh, the frame is a very rigid, usually steel frame. Um, and then the, the the mat, as it's called, is held together uh, with these tight coiled springs, or not mm-hmm. held together, but strapped to the frame. Mm-hmm. And it's not, you know, it's those springs is where you get the bounce. It's, it's not the actual material, although that could have a little bounce to it. It's got a little give because it's woven. It's like it's like a seatbelt. Yeah. Of super tightly woven that that um, fabric that mat is right, and that's the the larger trampolines. They do have the little smaller, like I guess people used to use them to exercise and stuff like that. Did you not have one of those? No, we never had one of those. I think I had to do a jazzercise, maybe or something. I think like so. That. Uh, I've seen those more often at like NBA games <laughs> when they bring the guys out and sure. uh, between the timeouts or whatever, and they do the. High flying dunks. Yeah, those are awesome to see. Do you like those? I love watching those. Sure, <laughs> I never get up during uh, halftime because oh, yeah? of that. Yeah. All right. I'm strapped to my seat. You know what they should do to me? At, at, at in my opinion, at every sports game ever during the halftime. Yeah. The only thing they should do is have the little league teams play. Oh, that gets you, huh? It's just the cutest thing ever. Like I don't need to see a dance routine or some corny anything but whenever they have like the five-year-olds out there playing basketball on the big court yeah or football that's that's all i need what about the guy who's who climbs an increasingly high stack of chairs <laughs> i like that guy a lot it's not bad okay is but, he spinning a plate no no he just he, sometimes he'll do handstands on the top it's really thrilling yeah I'll, you I'll need take to that. you need to watch more halftime <laughs> shows but um okay so so that's basically what you described was a trampoline. That's a trampoline. There's like variations to it for sure. There's competition trampolines. They tend to be rectangular. Right. Um, they actually have specific dimensions because they're competition, so they have to all kind of have like a universal size. But usually something like 10 feet by 17 feet. Um, I think the ones that they use in college are a little smaller, but not too much. Um, Did you watch any of that stuff? Yeah, it's in, it's it's entrancing. Yeah, it's kind of cool because it's it's in it's not slow motion when you're the one doing the bouncing, but when you're watching it from afar, because the mind kind of makes uh, the point from when you bounce to when you next bounce again mm-hmm. is kind of like one complete cycle. It it does kind of take a second, so it does kind of seem like the whole thing's happening in slow motion to the mind. Yeah, it is very lulling. Maybe that's mm-hmm. why I'm tired. I think it is (laughs) because you were lulled to sleep by trampoline watching. Uh, So, yeah, the rectangular ones are the competition. But when you go out to the country is when you'll see 
the round ones, the octagonal ones, and the uh, hexagonal ones. Yeah, and the the ones that you see, like that people have bought for their home use, they're very frequently they're going to have um, nets around the sides. Yeah. So that if you start to go off the side of the trampoline, the net catches you and throws you back into the center, the mat of the trampoline. Which we did not have when we were children. Uh, no, we did not. It was it was you're off. It was it's called thinning the herd. I think was the model I had the herd thinner. Yeah. In fact, they even had a uh, a land moat full of nails and sharp glass mm-hmm. <laughs> surrounding the trampoline. That's right. And armadillos with leprosy. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, but the ones in competition, they don't have nets. And there's a really good reason why. Not because they're they're daredevils and thrill seekers, but because the people in competitions tend to jump so high mm-hmm. that the nets wouldn't do any good. they just go right over the side. Unless they um, had super tall nets. I guess so. But, I mean, once you get into nets that are too tall, it becomes kind of cost prohibitive, you know? Yeah, plus it, looks, it ended up looking like one of those... Uh, Indoor skydiving tubes. Right, which we've done. <laughs> that was fun. That was kind of fun. And that, that footage is lost forever. I can't find it anywhere. Oh, thank God. Oh, I like that one. Was it me or you that got thrown against the side at the end? It was me. For those of you that don't know what we're talking about, we did some Toyota commercials years ago. It was funny. We were much more marketable early on than we are now. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, they, they flew us out to California, and we did a Toyota commercial in, as we were both indoor skydiving. Mm-hmm. And it was uh, pretty interesting and fun. Yeah. I think my line was, you're just telling me that now? (laughs) And then I lose control and bump into the side of the wall. That's that's harder than it looks. You don't just, you know, it's very taxing on the muscles. (laughs) It really is. It was fun, though, too. I had a good time. Should we take a break? Uh, No. No? No, because we're not we're not done with this part yet. Okay. Okay, you ready? Yes. We're we're getting there, Chuck. We're getting right. there. By the way, I should probably explain to everybody. Chuck thinks that this is going to be like the oh um, no the jackhammer <laughs> episode, which he and I agree is our worst episode ever. I think that it's patently wrong. So let's prove him wrong, everybody. Okay. Okay. So um, there's one other thing I wanted to talk about before we go to break, Chuck. Okay. Aside from what the trampoline is, which I feel like we've done a pretty good job of defining it to this point, right? Yes. The physics of a trampoline are actually pretty fascinating because if you look at the outside of the trampoline, it's like you said, that mat, that fabric that you actually jump on Mm -hmm. has a little bit of give. But where the trampoline gets the most give is from those springs that are attaching the fabric mat to the frame, correct? Mm -hmm. Correct. Okay. So, what that means then is because there's all these springs working together, the trampoline itself is actually, physics-wise, a giant spring. And the reason why when you jump on a trampoline, it shoots you back up into the air is because you're combining two kinds of uh, energy. Kinetic energy, mm-hmm. which is the, the movement, the energy from you jumping up and down on something. And then there's also potential, elastic potential energy, which is the stored energy those springs have when they're extended and they want to go back to their normal shape. Yeah. And so as all of this energy gets stretched out and then goes back to its normal tension, uh, it directs all that stored energy and that energy that's turned into actual energy toward the center, which is where you happen to be, and it launches you back up into the air. Somewhere Tracy Wilson is smiling. Right, exactly. <laughs> uh, one more thing. Mouth parts. Uh, so uh, I think now we can take a break, don't you? Yes. Okay. Learning stuff with Joshua and Charles. Stuff you should know. 
Hey there, are you thirsty? Well, before you take a sip, have you stopped to think about what's in your water? Many conventional bottled waters contain PFAS, harmful substances known as forever chemicals. But you can drink water as clean as nature intended. Richard's rainwater collects 100% pure, refreshing drops of rain. Yes, it really is rain, everybody. This rain is caught clean before it hits the ground or becomes polluted with pesticides and contaminants commonly found in groundwater. Yep, Richard's rainwater is naturally pure with no need for harsh chemicals or additives. That means no added fluoride, no chlorine, no forever chemicals, no microplastics, no nothing. And you can enjoy the clean taste of Richard's still rainwater and the long-lasting cold-pressured bubbles of Richard's sparkling rainwater. Just visit richardsrainwater.com to find a retailer near you. That's richardsrainwater.com. And we even have a special offer, don't we, Josh? Yeah, text STUFF to 2512-928887 and you'll get $2 off a 12-pack case of Richard's rainwater. Sip the sky. Hey everybody, it's time you heard about Squarespace. Squarespace has the tools you need to create and sell your own website, whether it's an online course or custom merch. Squarespace has you covered. That's right. Courses is a great program. You can start with a professional layout that fits your brand, upload video lessons to teach techniques and skills, and tailor your course with a powerful Fluid Engine editor. That's right. With Fluid Engine, which is a next generation website design system, by the way, it's never been easier for anyone to unlock unbreakable creativity. That's right. And don't forget the commerce side, because after that, you can charge a one time fee or you can even sell a subscription. Yeah. So turn your creativity into income with Squarespace courses. And right now, go to squarespace.com stuff for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code STUFF to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Squarespace. Stuff you should know. All right, Chuck, we're back. And I think it's time to talk a little history of trampolines. Yeah. So uh, earlier you teased that this was sort of um, an invention of its own. Like there was no predecessor really to the trampoline aside from uh, Inuit people tossing people up in the air Lebowski mm-hmm. style. Right. Uh, so the credit for the trampoline is is roundly – I don't think there's anyone that disputes this, Right. No, no, it's it's George Nissen for sure. Yeah, George Nissen and a man named Larry uh, Clark Griswold. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, and and we'll we'll get to their story and how Larry figured in, but it was really George Nissen's brainchild um, between 1930 and 1936, like you said earlier. It took a little while to get it just right, mm-hmm. but when uh, George was a little boy in 1930, he was 16, I guess, medium sized boy. Sure. And he was watching the trapeze artists, and you know how they have that net, and they leap off the trapeze at the end, and they do a flourish, and they land on the net, and then they usually do a couple of little flips, and then land on the net again, and then that cool move where they hold on to the net and flip out and land on their feet very gracefully. Right, right. Little George saw this and was like, everyone's wild about this trapeze. <laughs> He's like, the best part is that end. When they get on that net, I should make one of those. Yeah, he wanted one where you didn't just bounce once, basically, get one bounce out of it, but that you could just keep bouncing and bouncing and bouncing. 
And he's like, I'm, I'm going to go home and make something like this. Because he was, a, he was a gymnast at the time already. Yeah, that makes a lot more sense once you know that, I think. Exactly. He was a gymnast who went to circus performances and then was inspired by that net. And so he actually went home, got, I guess, spare metal parts from like a junkyard, from what I can tell. Uh, got his hands on a canvas mat and affixed the two things together. And, um, and he it, broke his ankles. <laughs> basically, it did not work very well at no. first. I mean, it had some bounce to it. It was, uh, as far as like an early proof of concept goes, it worked in that respect. But that was about it. And he called it a bouncing rig. And he put it down in his parents' basement, I believe, and then went off to the University of Iowa to study business and join the gymnastics team. And joining the gymnastics team at the University of Iowa turned out to be pretty fateful because it was there that he met his, who the man who would become his co-inventor in the trampoline, Larry Griswold. Yeah, I wonder if he, if leaving that uh, trampoline prototype in his parents' ba- basement was, it had to have been the first instance of what would be hundreds of thousands of many trampolines left in their parents' basements. Yeah, apparently um, uh, uh, George Nissen's dad was not all that happy about the, the trampoline yeah. <laughs> thing. He, he was not a, a true believer as far as the, the trampoline was concerned. All right, so he goes to school, like you said. He met Coach Larry Griswold. Mm-hmm. Uh, we call him Clark around here. And I guess he thought this was a good idea. He shared it with his coach, and he's like, you know what? I'm a little older. I have a little more ex- experience. Why don't you let me help you with this thing? Right. And they built uh, a different prototype, this time they had a nylon mat. They used grommets, which obviously made it a little sturdier. Right. And the springs, uh, they subbed in uh, bicycle inner tubes. Yeah, because I'm not even sure that he used springs. He just somehow attached so. the canvas to the frame. Yeah. So when they added bicycle tubes, that gave it way more give. And and it worked a lot better. And they knew that they were on to something just with this. They, I'm sure they knew it could be improved, but they this was a pretty good first start that they worked on at, at the University of Iowa. Yeah, so between then and, uh, I guess, 1937, um, they in, introduced the steel coils in 1934, mm-hmm. and they really had the trampoline going at this point. Yep. Um, although it was not called the trampoline until uh, Nissen in 1937, Traveled all over North America performing routines uh, under the name, with two of his friends under the name, the Three Leonardos, which is a very 1937 thing to do. It really is. Uh, And they went to Mexico, and they learned that there was a a name, a Spanish name, for this bouncing rig, rig, like the springboard, called a trampolin, Mm -hmm. or I guess lean without the E on the end. Right. And he said, hey, I'm just going to add an E on the end, trademark that thing. And uh, I've appropriated something from another culture. <laughs> I read uh, I read on educatorpages.com that he, while down in Mexico, he learned the Mexican word for springboard was trampoline. Yeah? The Mexican word. Oh, that's what they said? On educatorpages.com. I was just disappointed huh. enough that I wanted to point it out. Well, I mean, sure, there are Mexican-specific words. This is not one of them. Okay. <laughs> It's a Spanish to, word. I got you. I was just trying to make that clear. So, um, so George, this is like, this is great. I've been calling this thing a bouncing rig, but this trampoline word is way better. I'm going to call this a trampoline, like Chuck said, and, um, and trademark it. And that was a huge, huge 
improvement for this thing because they had something by this time. They had a really great invention going, but now they had a name and kind of a catchy name and one that even made sense as well. A springboard, by the way, is one of those, you know, those little um, things you jump on to get onto the pole or the um, the pummel horse? Yeah. That's a springboard. Yeah. Or, or uh, what's it called? The vault. Is that what they use for the vault? Yes. Right. Yeah. Okay, so this is kind of what, what inspired him to say that is somewhat tied to this. It's a great name. I'll probably never sell one of these in Mexico. I'm just going to take it and, like you said, appropriate it. So now he had a great invention. He had a name. And he and uh, Griswold founded the Griswold Nissen Trampoline and Tumbling Company um, in 1942 and started selling these things, not exactly like hotcakes at first. I believe they sold 10 in their first year, and George Nissen's dad suggested that they had satisfied the world's need for trampolines by this time <laughs> in the first 10. He's, I'm telling you, he wasn't really on board. <laughs> He's kind of snarky. But his son ended up really rubbing the dog poop in his dad's face because trampolines started to take off pretty quick. So they, they both agreed, though, uh, the two partners, Griswold Nissen, that in order to sell this thing, they had to demonstrate it. It's not the kind of thing you can just... It was so revolutionary, my friend, that they couldn't just <laughs> throw an ad up. Right. Uh, but at the time, uh, Griswold, the, the former coach, had a little touring routine a, a, a diving, they were both divers. I don't think we mentioned that, like, uh, you know, com- competitive divers. George Nissen was too? Oh, yeah. Nissen, well, not a competitive or a, not a professional, but he was, he did two things. He did gymnastics and diving. Oh, okay. So uh, Griswold was touring the country doing a comedy act, a diving board comedy act mm-hmm. uh, called, what was it, the, dri- the Diving Fool? The Diving Fool. It has to be seen to be believed. Yeah, so I kind of do the same routine every summer <laughs> at neighborhood pools. Uh, he'd stagger around pretending to be, like, drunk at a pool and falling off the diving board and doing mm-hmm. all these tricks and things like that. The difference is you're not pretending, right? <laughs> I am a, a drunken diving fool. Get a couple of bloody Caesars in you? That's right. Although you just call them Bloody Marys, right? Well, what was the Caesar part? The Clamato. Oh, yeah, I never knew that. Yes, you did. I told you that. Well, no, years I mean, ago. I, I never knew it until you told me years ago. Oh, okay, yeah. gotcha. Um, but in any case, the drunken or the diving fool was something that that Griswold was actually making a little bit of money at, mm-hmm. and I guess he was, you know, touring the country and wooing the ladies. So he was like, I kind of <laughs> like this over trampolining, and so what? You are you interested in buying out the shares of this company? Uh, and Nissen said, uh, Sure. Yeah. Why he not? Said, Thanks a lot, chump. Yeah. I will take over this company myself. And then Nissen started touring around, and this is when the demonstrations really took hold. Uh, yeah. He and his wife, who was an acrobat named Annie DeVries. Mm-hmm. She's like a Dutch high-wire high artist, I yeah. believe. Um, and you have to, like, you have to understand, like, now in the world we live in, the world we were born into, Chuck, like, trampolines are, are they're a thing. It seems like they've always been around. This is at a time where you had to go take them places to demonstrate them. Or when um, when uh, Larry Griswold was doing his, his diving fool thing, when he gets to the end, it looks like he's going to dive into a pool, and when he dives in, it turns out there's a trampoline hidden behind this thing that looks like a pool, <laughs> so he would bounce back up. That's probably pretty 
great if you're a kid. Yeah, but also I think even adults at the time were like, what just happened? Right. Yeah, exactly. He just produced magic. So yeah. it's, And you can actually see it. Um, there's a, a, a bit of him doing it on the Sinatra show in 1951. Yeah, it's pretty great. And you can hear the, the crowds going berserk over this kind of stuff. Um, but anyway, so he, like you said, he decides that that's, that's, he's better off doing that, sells out to Nissen, and then Nissen starts touring to demonstrate the trampoline. And he had a real flair for this. He studied business, like I said, at University of Iowa. Um, I don't, I'm sure the trampoline probably would have taken off regardless, but thanks to um, George Nissen, it, like, it really, he really did a good job at promoting it and, and making it catch on, especially in the 60s and the 50s. Yeah, he went around the world, actually, and he would do things like, uh, in Central Park, he would bounce with a kangaroo, um, I'm sure that got some pretty pretty good attention. Yeah, he he rented a kangaroo for this photo shoot, and then basically shared shared the world shared the um, photo with like the Associated Press, who spread it around the world. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, he went to Russia. Um, he went to Egypt and did tricks uh, atop the pyramids. And as a result, and of course because it's the 1950s, that's kind of when something like this would really. It just makes sense that it took hold then, mm-hmm. and that's when they it became a legit fad. And there were people buying trampolines. There were trampoline bounce centers, which apparently are big now again, which I didn't know. Yeah, have you ever been to one of those? I told you that's where my Instagram photo spread was. Taken. Oh, I thought yours was just a regular trampoline. No, no, it's at one of those bounce centers. So what are there? Just trampolines everywhere? Yes, or is everywhere. The whole floor trampoline. No, they're everywhere built into the floors. There's places that you kind of walk in between them, but for the most part, it's like these giant, um, you know, the bags that like uh, a stuntman falls onto from from high above? Sure. They have those built into the floor. They have trampolines everywhere, trampolines in the walls at angles. It's. I would say you got to go, but don't. Or if you go, <laughs> just poke your head in and just leave. Yeah, I don't, uh, I've got, uh, I don't want to say weak ankles because that makes me, I don't know how that makes me sound. It makes you sound like a thoroughbred horse. But I don't like it. Oh, okay. Well, thanks. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, if I step off a curb wrong, it's it's not fun. So You don't need to be trampolining. I don't want a trampoline, not at this age. You shouldn't. Uh, but earlier, um, I guess we should mention that his his idea was, like all good business people, wasn't just so singular, like, hey, maybe we can sell these to kids. Mm-hmm. He thought, you know, because he was a gymnast, we can use these uh, for training uh, in gymnastics, um, anything, anything where there's tumbling or falling, we can we think we can like sell these sell this, including to the military and to NASA. Yeah, two there were two things that he really saw early on that they could be used for for training, um, like you said, tumbling or that kind of thing, uh, but also like diving where you have where you're doing aerial tricks. Yeah. And it's not like you just know how to do those tricks. It takes a ton of practice. Well, it really sucks to have to go get out of the pool, climb back up the ladder, <laughs> yeah. walk down and try it again every time. Dry off, have a smoke, right? drink if a you, beer, do it again. If you, have, um, if you have like a harness on, you can practice this stuff in midair just from a trampoline with every bounce. You don't have to climb back up the ladder. You can practice bounce after bounce, and then you could take it up onto the diving board. So that was one. And then the other, like you said, the military and eventually NASA, to get pilots adjusted to disorienting um, body positions, like yeah, tumbling that, that head over heels yeah, through the air, um, and, and learning how to 
keep their orientation even when their body's flipping all over the place. And the military bought into it. They said, yeah, that's a really good idea. So much so that when um, uh, George Nissen was assigned to a pre-flight center in the Navy, uh, I think St. Mary's College outside of Oakland, he found that they were already using trampolines for training before he even got there. So it had caught he his invention preceded him before he even showed up to to uh, proselytize it. Yeah, and like if you think about getting on a trampoline, if it's been a lot of years, you probably remember like yeah, it's easy. You just get on it and and jump, dum dum. Mm-hmm. But it's you know if you're like seriously trampolining like we were doing in elementary school, mm-hmm. like we would learn tricks and stuff like that. It's aerobic. It's uh, it improves your agility and balance. Um, there's a lot of like muscle work going on. So it's not, you know, sure you can just jump up and down like in uh, like Tom Hanks and Big. Sure. But if you want to do tricks and things like that and jumps and spins, there's there's athleticism involved for sure. Yeah, you can get really good at it. Yeah. In other words, um, there's one other thing. Then you want to take a break in a second. Yeah. So um, trampoline is one of my favorite things now. It's a proprietary eponym, right? Yeah. Which means it's generic, but it used to be a trademark name, like you said. Um, and then it got so popular that by the 60s, George Nissen just got tired of trying to fight unauthorized use of it. So he he stopped enforcing his trademark and it became generic. But up to the 60s, anytime somebody in the news was describing a trampoline, they had to call it like um, bounce, tumbling, or just make up some words to get the point across without yeah. using the term trampoline because it was trademarked at the time. Yeah, rebound tumbling was a pretty good one, I thought. It's not bad. <laughs> so uh, how about that break? Uh, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> I thought you were going to get me back and say no. <laughs> no. All right, let's do it. Learning stuff with Joshua and Charles. Stuff you should know. Hey there, are you thirsty? Well, before you take a sip, have you stopped to think about what's in your water? Many conventional bottled waters contain PFAS, harmful substances known as forever chemicals. But... You can drink water as clean as nature intended. Richard's rainwater collects 100% pure, refreshing drops of rain. Yes, it really is rain, everybody. This rain is caught clean before it hits the ground or becomes polluted with pesticides and contaminants commonly found in groundwater. Yep, Richard's rainwater is naturally pure with no need for harsh chemicals or additives. That means no added fluoride, no chlorine, no forever chemicals, no microplastics, no nothing. And you can enjoy the clean taste of Richard's still rainwater and the long-lasting cold-pressured bubbles of Richard's sparkling rainwater. Just visit richardsrainwater.com to find a retailer near you. That's richardsrainwater.com. And we even have a special offer, don't we, Josh? Yeah, text STUFF to 2512-928887 and you'll get $2 off a 12-pack case of Richard's rainwater. Sip the sky. Hey friends, as every parent knows, kids seem to be everywhere all at once and it's really tough for even the most watchful moms and dads to protect their little ones from every single thing. 
Yeah, Duracell understands this, and that's why they're deeply committed to lithium coin battery safety. Lithium coin batteries power a bunch of important things around people's homes, including things young children may have access to. So Duracell not only educates parents, caregivers, and medical professionals about the importance of lithium coin battery safety, they also make the only lithium coin batteries with a non-toxic bitter coating to help discourage children from swallowing them. Even Duracell's packaging is child secure and designed to avoid accidental opening because they believe their products should provide more than just power. They should also provide peace of mind. You can learn more at Duracell.com slash power safely. Available on 2032, 2025, and 2016 sizes. All right, Chuck. So trampolining is an actual sport. Like you said, it requires a lot of like fitness and you can get really good at it. And there's a lot of tricks you can learn and do. Um, and although it's not technically a, um, an NCAA sport, you can find it competitively in colleges, enough colleges so that there are colleges that compete against one another in trampoline matches. It's just not sanctioned by the the NCAA like, say, basketball or softball or football is. Yeah, I get the feeling it's it's one of those fringe sports that if enough people, and in this case it's probably uh, gymnastics uh, or gymnasts, they would say, hey, they would go to the school and say, hey, we got like, 12 people here mm-hmm. who want to get on the trampoline and compete. Right. Can we do this? And they'll say, sure, we can allocate you like $600 a year. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I've got a trampoline at my house. Right. Uh, but yeah, they compete and that's great. Um, however, early on, this was actually uh, like, that seems like something that would have happened more recently. All the way back in 1964, they held the world championship in London at Royal Albert Hall of all places. Right. And uh, this was when Nissan was still, like, still trying to, you know, the 50s, they really sold well. The 60s, they were selling okay. But like all fads, I think he saw the writing on the wall. So things like the world championships and trying to get sports, uh, legitimate sports um, leagues or whatever going was pretty important, I think, to him. Yeah, I guess from that first fad, though, in the 60s, like the real heyday of trampolines, um, it did become, it started to become a sport. But rather than people saying, like, this is a thing, let's get together, it's like you're saying, like, one one school, like, one one group of gymnasts went to their school and said, hey, we want to do this. And that happened at other schools and other schools. And before you know it, there are enough schools to compete against one another. Um, and so there there is actual... Um, events. There, there are now like collegiate trampoline events that, again, aren't sanctioned by the NCAA, as far as I know, or they didn't used to be. They may be now because beginning in 2000, like the, the biggest of the big happened to trampolining. And what started out as just a training thing became an actual Olympic event. There's now a trampoline event in the Olympics starting as of 2000 in Sydney. Yeah, which uh, Nissen lived to see that, which was kind of cool. Mm-hmm. The, the the little kind of silly invention that he had so many years earlier mm-hmm. became an Olympic sport. And that was, I'm sure, a very, very big day for him. Yeah, because, I mean, not only was he the inventor, he was like a, a tireless um, – uh, what is it called when people Promoter? go – Yes, thank you. <laughs> thank you, Chuck. We're not very good at that part either. 
No. Promotion. So he was a tireless, no, a t- or talking. He was a tireless promoter of it, too. So I think it meant quite a bit to him to see, like, his invention become an actual Olympic sport. Because he was a, a, a trained gymnast. Like, this was his, this, his thing. He wasn't, you know, like, the inventor of the Etch-A-Sketch or something like that. Whereas he just accidentally happened to, like, come across this idea, this is like really important to him and, and it became an Olympic sport, this thing that he invented. That's right. I just think that's really cool. Plus also, he was such a gymnast through and through. I read that he was still able to do handstands in his 80s. Wow. And headstands into his 90s. Wow, maybe they just couldn't tell his head from his butt at that point and they thought he was doing a headstand. <laughs> maybe so. <laughs> that's usually how it goes by then. Oh boy. Uh, so... If you're at a collegiate trampoline event, you may see synchronized tramping. Did you watch that? Yeah, it's cool. Like any synchronized event, it's all about uh, trying to exactly mirror one another, doing the same thing side by side on two different trampolines. Yeah. It's very I'm, cool. I'm such a brat. I was watching. I'm like, oh, they're not in sync. Oh, uh, yeah, that's no, the whole not game in sync though, man. again. You know? Uh, out of sync. Yep. And you're like, maybe I'm not watching the synchronized. Or I'm looking at it from the wrong <laughs> angle. Um, is my internet working? Because uh, <laughs> these guys are not on the same page. Um, in the Olympics, though, they don't have that. They have two events, uh, and you're not likely to see these on TV. This is not um, burning up the airwaves. Mm-hmm. You, you probably have to have – I'm sure you can get some Olympic package where you get everything. But uh, Olympic trampolining has two events, the men's and the women's individual. Right. And like most sports like this, there's a compulsory routine – uh, where they say, all right, you've got to do these predetermined tricks. And then the uh, voluntary routine where you really let your creative juices as a trampoliner show right, and shine. Uh, and you get 10 bounces, and you can do whatever you want. Well, I don't know about whatever you want, but you do you know, these fancy combinations of tricks in those 10 bounces. I also noticed on the Olympic trampoline there was uh, – like a target in the center and another box mm-hmm. around that. And I didn't look it up, but I got the feeling that you kind of had to stay within that unless that's just for the benefit of the jumper. Because I, I saw I them know. land outside of it a couple of times and I heard the announcers go, ooh. Uh. Yeah, so I don't know if that's a penalty deduction, <laughs> like uh, vaulting off the mat or something. Or Yeah, no, I could totally see that for sure. Yeah, I'm not really sure. But they are judged on... Uh, flight time, which is awesome. Yeah. Uh, execution and difficulty. Right, and then if they bounce, if they go through a bounce and and don't do a trick in on that bounce, they they lose points for that too. Yeah. Well, so they're like, "What are you doing? What are you at the rec center?" That was a waste of everyone's time. <laughs> uh, and of course, it's you know highest cumulative score wins. Yep. So uh, originally, it looked like Russia was going to be the big trampoliners in the world. Of course. The Russians won the men's and women's gold in Sydney. So the first ever gold for trampolining the Russians won. And then all of a sudden, China comes out of nowhere and they start dominating. Um, I believe Dong Dong is the world's most decorated trampoline athlete with gold, silver, and bronze to his name. Nice. Not bad. But if you're talking women's trampoline, you want to go to Canada because they are as good as it gets, um, starring Rosanna McClellan and Karen Cockburn, who are Canada's two big trampolinists. <laughs> trampolinists? Is that yeah. it? I've been yeah. saying trampoliner. Oh, I think it's whatever you want it to be. <laughs> it's only very recently an Olympic event, so it's kind of a free-for-all to call it whatever you like. 
Yeah. So before we get into the uh, the downer, which is uh, injuries and and sadly deaths from trampolining, mm-hmm. uh, we will mention a few other um, kind of crazy sports that you know, like the NBA during halftime or timeouts, people have tried to incorporate trampolines into other sports or maybe just invented sports out of whole cloth. Mm-hmm. And they're always a little goofy. A tad. Right? A little. So 1964, uh, Spaceball, which I had never heard of before. Just YouTube this and check yeah. it out. Yeah. It's it's much less impressive than it sounds when you finally watch it. Yeah, because, I mean, Spaceball has nothing to do with anything other than the fact that it was, like, created during the height of the space race. It's the only reason that I can possibly come up with that it's called Spaceball. Yeah, and I said, uh, in here it says Spaceball had teams of two. I only saw one person at a time. So would they mm-hmm. sub in and out? I, I don't know because I only saw – I think we saw the same video. <laughs> a really off-puttingly <laughs> lighted black and white video. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's almost like – I think one guy checks his watch in the middle of the match. <laughs> well, they were goofing around and one guy – hid the ball under his shirt and was like, what? What happened? Yeah, yeah. But they're all bouncing this whole time. And the the point is, so there's like a trampoline. There's two different trampolines. Each guy's on a trampoline. In between their two trampolines, the thing they're facing is a net. In between the net is a tunnel, and that's where the ball goes through. And the point is to try to get the ball through the tunnel to hit the other guy's backstop trampoline. Yeah. Which is, from what I saw in that video, and I guess you did too, is utterly impossible to get it past the person. It's, it's not weird. a great game. No. But this is, I don't know if George Nissen created it or helped develop it or what, but it was one of those things where it's like, you know, the, the fad's starting to wane. Let's come up with new uses for the trampoline. So Spaceball didn't catch on. No. But then years later, other people have been like, hey, hey, let's not give up the ghost. There are other things you can do with the trampoline, like Slam Ball, which actually is kind of awesome to watch. Now, see, I didn't find slam ball that all I saw was people doing dunks. I didn't see a, like, real four-on-four basketball game. It's not exactly like four-on-four basketball in that you can, like, it's more like rugby mixed with basketball with trampolines. So you're not dribbling probably, right? No, you're not, and somebody can just knock you right off of your feet um, and and stop the ball from moving. But the the point is, and what everybody comes to see is, right in front of the net, there's a big, you know, ground level trampoline that you jump on and do like an amazing dunk. Yeah, I'm not a fan. It's not bad. Um, then there's bossa ball. This and is crazy. It, like literally, it is crazy. Yeah, it is. Um, one part volleyball, one part soccer. Ten parts trampoline. Well, and there's trampoline, but also the whole – imagine – well, you should just watch this one too. Um, But imagine a big inflatable volleyball court. Mm -hmm. So instead of sand, let's say, the whole thing is like a big sort of bouncy inflatable area. And then the center part of that and around the net are actual trampolines built into that. Right. So people are bouncing around the outside. They're doing sets and stuff. And then if you're on the trampoline part, you jump up and you can use your feet. That's where the soccer comes in. Yeah, so you can do like bicycle and rainbow kicks. Yeah, or you can use your hands. Right. Um, so you can spike it really hot, hard from high up yeah. above the net. Yeah, and I, and I get the impression that uh, using your feet just gets you extra points or something. Yep. And Otherwise, why would you? 
There's also, well, just to show off, I think there's a lot of glory involved there. Yeah. But also, the reason it's called Bossa Ball is because it's named after Bossa Nova, a type of Samba music. And it's like you have to play to Samba music or yeah. else it's not an official <laughs> Bossa Ball match. So, yeah, yeah, it's like you said, you just have to go watch it. There's and this no is way. in Spain, by the way. I don't think we pointed that out. Spain, I think also Brazil, too. Yeah, well, of course. Yeah. But it's fun to watch. It's great. It's an, it's another thing you can do with trampolines. It's the sure. coolest of all of them, I think. I don't know. I like my slam ball. You like slam ball? <laughs> yeah. No one likes space ball, though. You know what I don't like about slam ball is hmm. it's the same thing at the NBA games. These guys do these big uh, dunks, mm-hmm. and they're all they're like beating their chest like, yeah. And I'm just like, <laughs> dude, like you used to trampoline. It's not <laughs> like... <laughs> I mean, it's still impressive. I couldn't go out there and do that right off the bat. But sure, it'd take you two, three tries. I don't know. They're just acting like they're ballers and stuff. And I'm right. sure the players on the court are just like, God, get these guys out of here. Yeah, no, I know what you mean. So that's my gripe. I'm with you. I feel you, man. But you're like, but it's just so fun. I like watching it. <laughs> have you? How about this? This is why you. This is how you'd like it. If they had elementary school basketball players <laughs> yeah. do it, yeah, I'd be into that. Yeah. So. You would never want to put an elementary school player on a slam ball trampoline or a trampoline at all, at least according to the American Academy of Pediatrics. And by the way, I want to just pluck my shirt lapels a little bit here. My segues are killing it in this episode. (laughs) I don't know if you've noticed. I know you have. I have. But, um, yeah, okay. Yeah. So, uh, and I just stumbled all over my my segue just now with that. (laughs) So, um, the American Academy of Pediatrics, get this, says do not let kids six or under on a trampoline. Just don't. That's what they open with their guidelines for trampolines. If you're under six or six or under, don't go on a trampoline. Your bones are too underdeveloped, and a trampoline is too dangerous. And until I researched this, I had no idea. I knew trampolines are dangerous, but sure. they're like funny haha dangerous. Like that one episode of The Simpsons where Homer gets a free trampoline and turns his backyard into a, a trampoline park. And every kid who jumps on it like breaks an arm or breaks right. their back or something like that. So it's it's funny like that. No, actually it's it's like dangerous in about – it's like lawn dart level dangerous basically. Yeah, I mean, nothing will drive that home like some 18-year-old statistics. Um, but in the early 2000s, this is what we have. I've got newer ones. Well, I imagine it's about the same. Uh, over a four-year period, there were 93,000 emergency room visits. Mm-hmm. And I guess this is the United States. Yeah. Over a four-year period. And here's the thing. Like, oh, a broken arm, that's not great, but it's not the worst thing in the world. Right. But over 2,000 of those 93,000 were traumatic brain injuries. and Those between, are pretty bad. Yeah, uh, between ch- uh, children between the ages of 5 and 18. Mm-hmm. And the American Academy of Pediatrics basically says it's the risk, like the risk of catastrophic injury, that's mm-hmm. the differentiator between this and just like playing baseball or whatever. Like if you get hurt on a trampoline – it's it's a very good chance that you might really, really be hurt. Yeah, because, I mean, like, nobody trampolines with a helmet on or with shoulder pads on. You're getting 
you, you know, can't, you can't be that kid at the park. You no, know, you can't. <laughs> your your parents would just be like, "I'd rather you get a brain injury than have to look like that kid <laughs> on the trampoline at the trampoline park." Um, the, the the padding that you put on the trampoline that goes around like the springs and the frame and everything, that's supposed to be replaced like every year or two. Yeah, no one ever does that. Um, so it's actually like a really dangerous invention, like much more dangerous than, than people realize. And uh, some people will point to it and say, you know, actually, bike, uh, like bikes, swimming, these things put more kids in the hospital every year than trampolines. True, but it's much more likely that kids are going to be biking or swimming than they are going to be trampolining. And so it, it's possible that comparatively speaking, trampolines are the most dangerous activity kids can engage in it's possible it's not proven but it's it's the statistics are there that it, it it would be not surprising to a lot of people if that panned out to be the case yeah and by far the most dangerous thing uh as far as trampolines go that you can let your kid do is get on there with five or six other kids mm-hmm. and it's fun and it looks like a big party and kids love it but 80 percent of these injuries are when there are multiple users on there at the same time. Yep, because you bounce into one another, oh, you yeah. can crack heads. It's mayhem. You can get, um, there's that, you know, that errant bounce that you weren't expecting and it shoots you off in a direction that you weren't You try to do that on. as a kid. Exactly. You try and like double jump people so they'll jump higher. Mm-hmm. And, you know, kids don't understand angles and physics. They understand physics enough that <laughs> they they can, they they try to counteract another kid's bounce and time it perfectly so that the frequency is the opposite so that the kid who's coming down and rather than bouncing, they're just hitting the upward momentum of yeah. that of that trampoline mat just so that it's like hitting the ground, right? Yeah. And there's actually something called trampoline ankle where um, oh, in kids, the growth plate, the plate where their, um, their ankle bones are growing together still, um, if that gets fractured and it can get fractured from that kind of, that very same kind of thing where um, the, the bounce is going it's coming back as they're coming down. Apparently, it can be like hitting, like landing on the concrete from a nine-foot drop. Ah. Yeah. And these little fragile bones that are still growing can be broken. And when they they are, um, start to grow again, their development can be all kinds of messed up. So there's something called trampoline ankle that I think um, physicians in Ottawa and Canada have identified that is an actual thing. Well, American Academy of Pediatrics does have a list of things. Uh, you already mentioned no kids under six mm-hmm. at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, safety netting, of course, all that padding, padding on the ground. Um, this is a good one. No ladders near the trampoline, people, mm-hmm. because a little kid's going to find that and climb up. Um, don't try flips and big tricks like that unless you're trained to do so. And only one person at a time. That's the big, big, big rule. Yep. Don't get on there with a bunch of kids. It's just, you're just asking for it. Right, which is why some people point to these trampoline parks. It's like, well, wait a minute. A lot of the kids here are under six. The The whole point is to stuff as many kids onto a trampoline or a bounce pit or whatever is possible. That's where most of the fun comes from. And um, there have been a lot of, I don't want to say a lot, but there have been some very high-profile deaths of mostly adults at these places where, um, like, grown Grown men have, like, broken their necks, suffered traumatic um, spinal injuries, um, have become paralyzed, have died. Um, A a New York Yankees pitcher 
had a, a compound fracture of his ankle. Yeah, don't do it. And almost died from blood loss. So um, there was an advocacy group that that went away. I think their last post was 2016, but they're called um, Think Before You Bounce. But um, even without looking them up, it, like go research this before you go to your next trampoline park, and I guarantee you, you will second guess it. I thought that group was for. Uh Recommendations before you decide to leave a party. No? <laughs> nope. Oh, interesting. Dad joke alert. <laughs> They're coming harder and faster these days. Have you noticed? Uh, yeah. Makes By sense. the way, I said I had more up-to-date statistics. Get this. An Indiana University study found that between 2002 and 2011, not 93,000 in four years, a million plus ER visits in the U.S. And how, in nine over what years. period? Nine, nine years. years. Wow. That's a lot of ER visits from trampolines. Well, hopefully that number's going down because trampoline sales for people at, and homes have been going down since 2004. Uh, so maybe people are just realizing it's it's too dangerous. Who knows? Or at least sink them into the ground so you don't have as far to fall. That's that is one thing. That is one thing, Chuck. Yeah. Uh, well, if you want to know more about trampolines, I guess go read up on it. I would say go jump on it, but just don't. Um, and since I said just don't, it means it's time for listener mail. Yeah, this is a two-parter. Uh, the first part is just going to be uh, us issuing a, a sort of retraction slash apology mm-hmm. uh, during the Michael Dillon episode recently, uh, trans pioneer Michael Dillon, we decided, um, which was not a good idea, to mirror Dillon's own experience in life and his own transition using the pronouns that he himself used, trying to make a point that there weren't even names for this stuff back then. Mm-hmm. And uh, we had quite a few uh, trans listeners that wrote in, uh, all very kind about it, and said, hey, listen, what you do now is you refer to that person from their moment of birth. Like, it doesn't matter about their journey and, and even what pronouns they used at the time. Mm-hmm. Like, what you really need to do is just refer to that person by the gender they identify with from conception on. Or not right. conception, but, you know, from birth on. Right. Um, and, yeah, like you said, everybody who wrote in was very um, nice and gentle about it. Yeah, they know we meant well. Right, exactly. So um, thanks to everybody who wrote in to let us know. Yeah, for sure. um, Okay, what's part two? Well, part two is along the same lines, and this is just a good tip. I always love getting uh, these um, just sort of nudges about, like, current best practices for language. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is from Anne. Hey, guys, and Jerry. I've been listening for at least a decade and have really enjoyed learning so much over the years. I really appreciate how you handle language. I'm an English teacher. And uh, you're always trying to use the most appropriate and sensitive term for any group. Uh, Recently, I listened to the Black Loyalist episode and was reminded of something I read a little while ago, which recommended using the term enslaved person rather than slave to help express uh, that the state of slavery was not some quality of these humans, but the result of an action by enslavers. Uh, She said, I'd never thought of that, but have been trying to use that language in my classroom. And I thought I'd pass it along. Keep up the good work, and thanks for all the knowledge. And that is from Anne. Thanks, Anne. That's, That's a, a good one. It person. is a good one. And it really goes to the heart of, like, you know, language does so much. I we know, use man. it to, like, it's justify important. things, legitimize things, to to uh, diminish people. Like, it's it's crazy how, how important language is. So that was a good tip, too. Yeah. So uh, to the people out there that think 
big deal. It's not important. Like, language is important. It, it's more than just words. It's how we communicate, chump. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you well, really shouldn't use the word chump, though, because nowadays we say... You chumped person? <laughs> a chumped person. That's um, good. Uh, thank you. What were you going to say? I, I didn't have one. I'm glad you came through. I swooped in at the last moment. Yeah. Um, if you want to get in touch with us like Ann did or like all the uh, people who let us know uh, what we got way, way wrong on the Michael Dillon episode, and again, thanks for that, uh, you can go to our website. It's called StuffYouShouldKnow.com, and there you will find all of our social links. Um, you can also send us all an email to StuffPodcast at iHeartRadio.com. Stuff You Should Know is a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Are you thirsty? Well, Richard's rainwater is caught clean before it even hits the ground. Rain is naturally pure, so there's no need for harsh chemicals or additives. Richard's rainwater contains no chlorine, no forever chemicals, no microplastics, no nothing. Enjoy the smooth, clean taste of still rainwater or the cold-pressured bubbles of sparkling rainwater. Just visit richardsrainwater.com to find a retailer near you. That's richardsrainwater.com. And for a coupon, text STUFF to 251-292-8887 and receive $2 off a 12-pack case of Richard's Rainwater. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Roger that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch strata coaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com.